I'm Hilary McClure, Multimedia Director at Cybercrime Magazine. Welcome to Let's Talk SOC, a Cybercrime Magazine podcast series brought to you by SecureWorks, a leader in cybersecurity, empowering security and IT teams worldwide to accelerate effective security operations. Joining me today is Tony Kirtley, Director of Incident Command at SecureWorks. Welcome, Tony. So great to have you with us today. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. And and to start off the episode, Tony, I would love to hear more about your role at SecureWorks. Yeah, sure. Um, I manage a team of incident commanders uh, that manage the the very mo- uh, most complex and largest uh, incident response engagements that we see. A lot of them are ransomware because those who have experienced ransomware know that it's all hands on deck and a very, very challenging type of incident. So that's what we do. Awesome. Yeah, definitely a challenging incident. And so with regard to incident response, how much time does an organization have to identify and contain a breach, I guess? Is there an average? That's that's kind of what I'd want us to dive into next. Sure. If I were to put a number on an average, I would say about two weeks, um, but that time is shortened. Um, and I think it depends on what the threat actor sees in the environment as far as defensive tools. In the last six months, we've seen, we call this dwell time, the time between when an attacker gets into an environment and when they take care of the actions on the objective, whether that's data breach or ransomware. We've seen that dwell time between one day and 303 days on our incident response engagements in the last six months. Certainly the the shorter ones were the ones that have the detection tools. And and so the threat actor sees them and probably thinks, I need to do what I'm going to do very quickly. However, there's other environments where they can take their time. Uh, especially if they're logging in via VPN or some other remote access service and they go undetected, they fly under the radar, they can take their time and see how they can affect that organization the most. We have, as you know, SecureWorks bread and butter is monitoring and we have Tejas customers. That's our monitoring service that we detect the early warning signs uh, of these types of breaches and we reach out to our customers urgently because we know what's going to happen. We see all kinds of indicators and we have been able to prevent uh, ransomware from happening. And we know that just by the tactics and tools that we see being used that they're going to lead to ransomware and data breaches is one of those things that leads to ransomware. So the action needs to be taken quickly just in case. I mean, we can't count on the threat actor taking 300 days to to dwell in the environment before they detonate ransomware or steal the data. Right. Yeah, absolutely. That makes a lot of sense. And so as far as timing goes, thanks for, you know, kind of helping us contextualize that. And so I guess my, my next question for you would be, what's the first priority or perhaps course of action is a better way to put it, if a breach has been detected? Well, when you say breach, the my mind goes to data breach. And regardless of whether it's a data breach or a the data breach leading to ransomware, in, in the past, before ransomware was as prevalent as, as it is, the thought was you could take your time, observe the what the threat actor is doing, 
unless there's actively data leaving your environment, you could observe and, and take a more methodical approach. These days, because we see data breach as a precursor to ransomware so often, our advice is to immediately contain the environment, uh, and that means cut off access of the threat actor. Usually that means shutting down their connection with the internet. Of course, that's a hard pill to swallow for organizations that rely on those services heavily uh, because it disrupts the business uh, almost always. So that has conflicts with operations. When ransomware is detonated, it's an easy discussion, but before it is detonated, we have to convince the uh, victim that they're about to get hit, and if they don't take action, they could be facing encryption of their systems. So containment is the very first priority. Then after you contain or after you cut off access, you need to make sure that the the way that the threat actor has gotten into your network and dropped malware or has access via logins, we need to make sure those things are fixed. Uh, usually that involves an investigation to find out how they got in and fix those means of access. And we also uh, typically go through a, an external penetration scan to find other ways that the threat actor could easily get in and fix those as well. Um, because if, uh, if you don't cut off that access, it could result in a very bad day. Yeah, I'm sure. And, and I guess if breach, if, if we're saying, you know, theoretically that breach is inevitable for organizations, how, how can they minimize the impact, especially since there are, like you said, like if, this is how I'm thinking of breach, but there's just so much out there, so many um, ways to, to be attacked, I guess, I guess to, to put it in different terms, you know, what, 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 how, what can they do to minimize that impact? So before it happens, minimizing the, the risk of getting breached to, to begin with or compromised, I would say that the, there are three things that we recommend. The three most frequent means of access of threat actors are scan and exploit, which means finding a vulnerable web server or internet-facing server and exploiting it and dropping a web shell or some other way of compromising that web-facing server credential compromise, either password spraying or password guessing on a remote access service like VPN or Citrix or RDP, and logging in and flying under the radar. And then uh, the third is dropping malware in the environment via phishing email or something like that. And so to mitigate those risks, and uh, the vast majority of the, the breaches that we see the threat actor has gotten in in one of those three ways. And the number one recommendation we have coming out of a, an IR engagement is multi-factor authentication on all remote access services uh, without exception. We've seen cases where our, our, the victim thought that they had that covered, but then there was a kind of a obscure VPN access for vendors that didn't have uh, MFA, and so that's how the threat actor got in. Um, and of course, to mitigate the scan and exploit risk, we recommend patching servers and keeping servers patched up to date. There's like a lot of exchange vulnerabilities in the news and we're seeing those exploited in the wild today. So keeping up on patching is inevitable. 
or it's uh, it's a must-have. And then thirdly, to detect the the malware dropping in via a phishing email or something, we recommend endpoint detection with with an EDR agent, so that you can see that malware executed in the environment. And then I would suggest that's a front line of defense. Then also I would suggest the defense in depth. That's a term that we security folks use a lot, but in this case to mitigate the things that we see actively in incident response engagements, a couple of ways to secure the, the back end. And we do this during an incident response engagement. We um, implement the Microsoft, well work with the customer or the victim to implement a secure uh, tier model of their Active Directory and secure that tier zero, which basically means that if a threat actor is able to compromise credentials and log into the environment, they're not able to elevate their privileges to domain administrator, which is required for a lot of the attacks that they do. And then also network segmentation. If your network is one big flat network and allowing the threat actor to roam freely, then that that makes it easy uh, to compromise a, an entire environment and network segmentation would put up some stumbling blocks for threat actors to be able to do that. Fantastic. And so Tony, finally, my, my, or my final question for you is what are some of the post breach regulations that organizations must adhere to? There are lots of them and it varies by jurisdiction. Of course, most I've found are privacy related like GDPR, in Europe and in the US, HIPAA has some requirements. There are state breach notification requirements for PII. And aside from regulatory requirements, I think companies need to also be mindful of uh, contractual obligations also to report uh, breaches. There may be contracts with partners, with customers that require them to report. and. I always recommend to get outside counsel involved uh, that are experienced in these kinds of things to get their arms around what reporting requirements that the victim organization has. I don't pretend to have a full handle on those. And in, uh, you know, even if I did, it's not my place really to advise the customer on that. I, I always advise to get the lawyers involved in when it comes to uh, data breach reporting. Absolutely. Sound advice for sure. And so, Tony, I I don't have any more questions for you. So I just I wanted to say thank you so much for coming on to the show and, um, you know, giving us your time. This was a great episode. Absolutely. Thank you for the opportunity, Hillary. Of course. Thanks, Tony. I'm Hillary McClure, Multimedia Director at Cybercrime Magazine. Let's Talk SOC is brought to you by SecureWorks, a leader in cybersecurity empowering security and IT teams worldwide to accelerate effective security operations by continuously neutralizing the expanding range and attack surface of cyber threats. With their cloud-native security analytics platform, Tagus, they dynamically collect, correlate, and interpret security data gathered across your IT ecosystem. To learn more about our sponsor, visit secureworks.com. And for more episodes like this, visit us at cybercrime.radio.